This episode is made possible by PwC. It's getting hot out here. Moving the mercury can help move your business. PwC helps turn sustainability theory into real-world action. Reduce your carbon footprint while increasing transparency in net zero commitments. Start with reporting to identify your climate risks and reinvent your business. Create a more sustainable business and a stronger planet. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Good afternoon. You're listening to Gambling with an Edge. Now here are your hosts, Bob Dancer and Richard Munchkin. Good afternoon. Welcome to Gambling with an Edge. I'm Bob Dancer. And I'm Richard Munchkin. Today, Richard and I go into our mailbag again. Uh, we always enjoy these shows. Um, we have them periodically. Keep the questions coming and we'll keep answering them the best we can. We're going to start off with a question for Richard. I want to learn more. I want to learn a more advanced count. What do you think about high up two? Well, if you listen, if you listen to the show a lot, you'll uh, hear often that I am a big fan of keeping it simple, and I do not think that higher level counts are worth the effort. Um, the exception to be to that might be if you were only playing single and double deck. I played the high up two back when I first started playing because I was playing single and double deck games. Um, but the betting efficiency for shoe games, it just doesn't warrant the extra effort. Uh, you're more likely to make mistakes and get fatigued faster and not be able to play as long. So it, you know, it depends on why you're doing it. If it's because you're trying to master something like if you were a piano player and wanted to learn some particularly difficult, you know, Beethoven piece or something, um, just to be able to see if you could do it, okay, fine. But if you're actually out there trying to make money, um, a, a more difficult count is not the place to be to be looking to do that. Uh, making money at counting cards is about the penetration that they deal you and the speed of the game and the amount of your bet spread. So if you're out there trying to make money, those are the things to focus on. Oh, and as far as simplicity, I would always uh, say try either the high-low or the KO. Um, They're both uh, equally strong and uh, much simpler to use, KO being the simplest. Uh, All right, our next question. This is also for Richard. What is your experience like hole carding internationally? I know it's been done by other APs, but I'm curious how APs evaluate potential repercussions. I'm specifically interested in cases where the game does not have a natural death, but rather the casino becomes aware of being hole carded. Well, 
interestingly, even though I've played in a lot of different countries, I don't think I have ever played a whole card in a foreign country. Most of the places I've been don't take a whole card, or if they do, they don't peek at the whole card. Um, like in Asia, Europe, most of the countries do not take a whole card. About the only place I can think of that that was a possibility would be uh, down in the islands, like uh, Aruba or St. Kitts or places like that. But I just, I never had run into a whole card in a foreign country. Now, as far as if I had, I would be, it would depend a lot on the country. Uh, if you got caught playing a whole card in, say, Russia or Sri Lanka or something, I would be pretty concerned about that. So I would be very careful, depending on what country I was in, if I found a whole card and was and was playing it. All right. Next question. This one's for me. A while back... I was doing some slot hustling, and I could tell by looking at the bet pad of a particular machine that it was in a profitable state. I got ready to put my ticket in and happened to notice a pair of sunglasses sitting there that someone had left behind. Noticing those sunglasses slowed me down just enough to realize the game was actively in a free spin bonus. When this game is left idle and goes into a demo mode, it displays this exact same bonus, which is why I hadn't realized this when I first walked up. I looked around, but I didn't see anyone who appeared to be watching this machine. Turns out that the person who the machine belonged to was on the other side of the bank, out of sight, actively participating in a ritual involving fists tightly clenched, eyes firmly sealed shut, and muttering something to himself under his breath. At this point, I walked away. With that context in mind, my question is, had this situation occurred in an alternate universe where it was a cloudy day rather than a sunny day and there were no sunglasses left on the machine to slow me down, how would you resolve the resulting fiasco if I had managed to accidentally put my ticket into the machine on top of the already accumulating credits? All right. First of all, the bill acceptor is locked when the machine is mid-game. You simply would not have been able to do what you're asking. So the machine would have prevented you from adding more tickets or money into the machine. Now, once the bonus round is over and the machine has credits on it, now more money or tickets could be put in. Uh, The original credits definitely belong to the other player. And a case could be made that the $100 you just inserted also belongs to that player. Now... If the credits have been abandoned, putting money in and playing and then cashing out is often okay. This happens a lot with small jackpots, such as 36 cents, where the minimum bet is a dollar. If you insert $100, you'll now see a balance of $100.36. But if there's a sizable amount of credits, let's say $250, could be a lot more, and you put money in and then cash it out, there's a good chance that the person will try to get his or her money back. Some casinos will roll the tape to see who did this. If you're a regular there, they will recognize you and could take action against you or at minimum realize that you are um, a hustler of sorts and may decide that you're undesirable. Next question. I just have to say, like, it's insane. For I, I understand that, you know, 
DGNs want to go do whatever their ritual is, but to do it in a place where you can't keep your eye on your machine is just insane. Well, maybe. Um, I, uh, when the machine is mid bonus, these bonuses can last three or five or eight minutes or something. And, uh, there's nothing that can be done to hurry them up. It's uh, it could be a time to go to the bathroom. I mean, the sh- machine is basically locked. Uh, and what if it finishes that, while you're gone? Well, you need to time it, and you need to know what machine we're talking about. Uh, if a machine finishes while you're gone, somebody else can cash out. Yes, uh, but you can certainly go and. If you know that this machine is, uh, as soon as this bonus round finishes, then uh, this machine is no longer playable, which is typically the case. Although there, uh, you can be checking the uh, nearby games to see if one of them is in uh, a playable situation. So you don't physically have to be sitting in front of the machine. You can abandon it at least a little bit uh, knowing that the bonus round is going to take some while to, to next question. I'll be taking a cruise soon on Norwegian cruise lines. Are there any advantages or disadvantages of counting cards on a cruise ship? And is any cruise line better or worse for doing so? Um, uh, did you have any experience with this, Richard? Well, I've taken very few cruises. The blackjack games, as far as card counting were terrible. Um, Actually, I mean, almost all CSMs. So, and and reports that I've heard from players are that the games are horrible. So, um, as a card counter, I've also heard of people being thrown off of ships. Not not thrown off. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, people being you know backed off uh, from ships and having their comps revoked and things like that for car- counting cards. So you're, you're really kind of at their mercy when you're out there on a cruise. Now, there are sometimes other opportunities, but, but for card counting, I would say no. Uh, just try to enjoy the cruise, and I wouldn't bother with it. We have had guests periodically talk about their experiences on cruises, and some have card counting and some have done it successfully. And we do not you have to go through back and listen. I cannot tell you which ones um, are the best. There are players who, uh, who, who regularly cruise strictly for card counting. There are players who strictly, who cruise regularly strictly for slot hustling. There are players who cruise for other reasons. Um, so there are some advantages there. Uh, but I can't tell you which cruise lines or which ships are the best ones to book. Next question is for me, although Richard has some insight into this as well. He says, he said on several occasions, I've talked about some of the longevity information that I've been researching. The question says, I've decided at this point in my life that I might want to take some of these things a little more seriously and would have no idea which shows to go back to to find everything you've talked about. Can you take a couple minutes to give a brief synopsis of the most helpful things that you've found and where would you recommend somebody start in their research? Okay. 
My longevity gurus are Dr. David Sinclair and Dr. Walter Longo, with an honorable mention uh, going to uh, Dr. Stephen Gundry. Um, now, their advice has a lot of overlap. It's not identical. Eating for longevity is similar to the Mediterranean diet, which has gotten a lot of press recently, and it's currently considered the healthiest diet out there. The key features to longevity is mostly vegetarian, intermittent fasting, the healthy fats, including olive oil, avocados, and a few others, essentially zero added sugar or sugar substitute, no white flour at all, and very limited use of whole grains, no fried food, exercise. So that's kind of generally what it's about. Um, based on uh, David Sinclair's recommendation, I take supplements including transververatrol, nicotinamide mononucleotide, which for some reason people call NMN. Now, I have a, take an omega oil supplement, probiotics, and a multiple vitamin. I am not an MD. Everybody is, everybody's body is different. I can't promise that one size fits all. Still, it has worked very, very well for me, and I'm happy with it. Now, part of the reason I actually started on this was Richard made a comment that he practiced intermittent fasting, and I had not heard of the term before he mentioned it. And as I looked into it, it led me up the longevity path. So are you still in fasting intermittently, Richard? Yeah, and I never started it because of it being called intermittent fasting. I just, um, you know, listened to my own body and I learned long ago that I sleep better at night if I have an empty stomach. So for years, I basically tried not to eat anything after about six o'clock at night. And I just found that I slept way better. And, and I think the other thing that you left out in your list is the importance of sleep. Good sleep is really, really important for people's health. So, um, you know, and my, uh, the more I read about this, the more I feel like nobody really knows anything. Uh, you will read one doctor saying one thing and then find another study that contradicts it. And this happens all the time and they go back and forth. Um, but uh, the the things that are very, very clear, I mean, and the other problem with a lot of these doctors is almost all of them are trying to sell you something. Um, so it makes me wonder, you know, how objective they really can be if they're also trying to sell you something. So, but what's clear is good sleep, exercise, uh, and sugar is horrible. And, uh, you know, vegetables are good, you know, pretty basic stuff. So uh, the doctor that I like a lot is a guy named Peter Atia, And, um, you know, he's all over Instagram and Twitter. And uh, one of the things that I like about him is that uh, when he, when things change and a new study comes out that changes something, uh, he changes. So, um, yeah. Anyway, that's uh, that. Those are my thoughts. Good. Next question, Richard. 
You've talked a lot about the charitable arm of the Blackjack Hall of Fame, and you recently had Colin Jones on the show discussing the book where the proceeds go to the charity. Is there a way for listeners to donate to this charity if we want to? Uh, yeah, I mean, I hadn't, <laughs> I hadn't thought about that, but, but yeah, it, it, you could. Um, you know, each year we partner with somebody, some other organization that helps problem gamblers because we feel that we have all benefited so much from gambling. It's a way of giving back. Um, last year, we donated $25,000 to the new uh, research center at UNLV that'll be studying problem gambling. And uh, this year, it, it'll be somebody else. And we haven't selected that, um, who that's going to be yet. Um, but yeah, if you wanted to donate to the charity, um, I would say just contact me privately and I can give you an address. And uh, the name of the organization is Blackjack Hall of Fame, Inc. And uh, it is a 501c3. And um, yeah, you could contact me and I, I could tell you how to do that. All right. Here's a question I've never heard you discuss on the show. When should you withdraw money from your gambling bankroll? I understand as an AP, you want to dedicate as much money as possible to your bankroll in order to optimize its growth. But as you develop as AP, when and how much percentage-wise would you withdraw from your bankroll and what purposes? Um, general bills, savings, vacations, splurges, whatever. While being a winning player is great, life is more than simply a bankroll. I'm curious as to what your decision about this process was on taking profits and keeping a robust bankroll combined. So Richard, did you want to take this first? Sure. Um, you know, when I started out, uh, I well, actually my whole career, I always played with teammates. But in the beginning, we had a dedicated bankroll. So we would get together and in the early days, our bankroll for the whole team might be $10,000 or $20,000. And you would put up some portion of that. And then we would play until we hit a target. And then that money would get divided uh, based on how much you put up as an investor and almost and how many hours you worked as a player. And so I always would um, keep probably six months worth of bills, enough money that I could live for six months without receiving anything from the bankroll because you can hit a losing streak. And then anything else I had over and above that, I would put into the bank, I would invest in the bankroll. Um, and, and I always tried to lean toward <clears throat> putting more into the bankroll uh, as much as I really felt like I could because the investment was so valuable, so much better than anything else I could possibly uh, put my money in. So, and, and at that time, because we were starting small, um, the ability for the bankroll to grow each time, uh, we weren't bumping up to the limits. Uh, eventually I reached a place where, uh, first of all, the structure changed because, uh, we no longer would have a dedicated bankroll. We would just get together and say, okay, three of us are going to go play this week in this location. And at the end of it, we're just going to chop it three ways. And, you know, if we lose, I pay a third of the loss. And if we win, I pay, I get a third of the win. By that point, 
my bankroll was large enough that there there wasn't an issue. I mean, we we couldn't bet any more than we were already betting, and we were already splitting it three ways. So there wasn't a, a separate dedicated bankroll for for gambling. I just paid whatever or collected whatever. Um, I don't know. I hope that answers your question. I don't think you can pick like a certain, like when I reach this amount, I'm going to withdraw, you know, 10% or, or uh, per month or something like that. I, I would keep the gambling bankroll completely separate than my living expense bankroll. All right. Before I give my answer to it, I'm going to give a follow-up question for you. How did that process change when you got married? It, it didn't change at all. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> um, so she was okay. Yeah, with I mean, I, I've said, you know, uh, many times on the show, one of the reasons I married my wife was she understood that what I did was a, a business. I mean, she just got it. And so she did not question if, you know, how I, how I dealt with my gambling bankroll. I mean, she was confident that the bills were going to be paid. And, and so she did not have any worries about that. And she trusted me to, I mean, I had been gambling when we got married, I'd already been gambling for uh, 15 years or something. Yeah, I've been, uh, so, but a lot of people are going to gambling after they've already been married for 15 years and the wives have different viewpoints of it. Oh yeah. No, you're right. That's true. Yeah. All right. So for me, how much to withdraw has always been tricky. Uh, being frugal comes natural to me. And so like, uh, an early on my gambling bankroll and my other assets really haven't been separated. I'd spend as little as I could and save as much as I could under the general rule of more is better and bigger games lie ahead. And so my bankroll grew over time, um, not smoothly, of course, but definitely growing. And in 2001, I became, I basically became a millionaire all at once. Uh, in one six month period, I netted a million dollars, um, was restricted shortly thereafter from continuing to play big games at several casinos. And for practical purposes, this meant I had more bankroll than I knew what, uh, we paid off our mortgage and, uh, which was about a quarter million dollars or so, but basically kept saving. Most players aren't going to have such a life-changing six months. Um, and I've never known for sure how much I can afford to spend. Since nobody knows how long they're going to live or how much medical expenses there'll be near the end of life um, or whether the economy is going to go into the tank, um, I generally believed in spending relatively little. So... I'm probably going to end up dying with a lot of money left over. Uh, but I can't know that for sure because I can't act accurately predict uh, when that's going to happen to me and what's going to happen between now and then. But but you, um, you obviously have more money than you need for a gambling bankroll. So do you... Yeah. Do you, do you think about it as a dedicated bankroll or do you just go play with whatever you need? Well, I don't think about it as a dedicated bankroll. Um, I do, Bonnie and I have created a bucket list of things to do 
while we are still healthy enough to do them. I'll, I'll be uh, 76 in a uh, few weeks and she's a couple years older than me. And right now we're, and right now she uses a walker and presumably in five years, um, our health won't be as good as it is today. Uh, so this, this year we're going through the Panama Canal. We're, we're going to spend some time in Europe and we're doing some other things. So we are, um, enjoying life and, but I'm still out there looking for games to beat partly because playing the AP game uh, gives me pleasure. It gives me enjoyment. Kicking a casino in the butt feels good. So it's more of a avocation than it is a vocation. All right, next question. Longtime listener here. I'm interested in bubble craps. Do many of the casinos in Vegas have it? I found one in the Midwest and enjoyed playing it. The payouts are the same as regular craps. Dice control is not possible with bug, uh, bubble craps. Apart from the greater speed of bubble craps, are there any important differences? Okay, now I've seen this game but I don't have a list of places where they're currently found. Um, when they're found, if they receive, they're usually handled by the slot department. And so it's possible you'll get slot club points and benefits. Now, in generally speaking, slot club benefits are higher than table game. So if it's included in the slot club, it's, um, it's a better gamble than playing on the, the table. This doesn't make it a good gamble, but it makes it a better gamble than the other. It is a far less social game. There are there can be a few other players at the the same bubble crafts game that you're at, but nowhere near as many as at a uh, as at a crafts table. And uh, when a and crafts table, there can be extra people trying to squeeze in, especially if, if a hot roll is going. And there's only a limited number of spots at a bubble craps. And there, you can, if there are six positions where you can put money in there, can't, a seventh person can't come and do that. So, uh, if, uh, if you got credit for laying odds and, uh, Oh, but nobody's going to do that. <laughs> Nobody's going to give you credit for uh, uh, odds bets on a crap machine. You'd be surprised what, what mistakes are out there. <laughs> so if they do, um, it actually can it can be a positive game when they do. It won't last long, but some mistakes happen out there if you're if you're um, looking for them. Yeah, and I would I would just add that a lot of places won't give you any points at all for playing these machines, um, which again just shows you how stupid casinos are. I mean, if you're betting the pass line, you're still giving up one point four percent, and you know there were people who would go bet the pass and the don't pass, uh, giving up one point four percent on both sides, uh, and you know the casino should love that action. They, the, the, I mean, they just have to be smart enough to go, okay, we're going to base the theoretical on 1.4% on the, the pass line bets, uh, and don't pass line bets. Um, but yeah, now if you are a very low roller, 
then yes, this is a way you could play craps very, very cheaply. If you're interested in getting comps from the casinos, it's much better to play table game craps at as crowded a table as you can possibly find and play as slowly as possible. So because your comps are, you know, based on your average bet times the hours played. So yeah, you want to play as slowly as possible, but yeah, it, I, I would not, um, I would say it would be a pretty rare thing these days to, to find a craps game. That's still going to give you slot club points, uh, based on your odds bets. Yeah. I, it recalls, I remember there was a time where playing a, uh, a craps game for time was uh, part of a play that I was positive and why it was positive. Don't, don't have to get into now, but I needed to play as slowly as I could. So whenever the dice got around to me, uh, I would accidentally throw dice on the floor every third roll or something. And I would also aim for the biggest stack of chips at the other end of the table. And I wouldn't always hit them frequent. Mostly I wouldn't, but sometimes I would, and they would all go scattering and they would have to take some time to get them all straightened up again. So, um, that was the way I made it go slower. All right. We got a lot more questions to ask, and we're going to start off with a rant on, uh, gambling in England. But before that, we have some commercial. If you're serious about card counting, the Blackjack Apprenticeship membership is a great way to learn, train, network, and get the resources you need to succeed. We've had quite a few guests on Gambling with an Edge who exclusively trained and got their start through Blackjack Apprenticeship. Check out the website at blackjackapprenticeship.com, and they have, a mem- they have member forums, training software, and guides to help you learn. So that's blackjackapprenticeship.com, and you will find a link in the show notes. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. VideoPoker.com is the best place to play lots of games. If you sign up for the gold membership, $8.95 a month or $79.95 a year, this allows you to get correction on most of the games. The game of the week is Wheel Poker. This is a six-coin-per-line game where you get to spin a wheel when you end up with a four of a kind. The average wheel spin is worth about 420 coins. The correct strategy isn't hard to work out. If you're playing a game where quads were worth 250, 400, and 800, you just add 420 to each of them and get 670, 820, and 1220, 
and then you work out the strategy. The hands that uh, the change in value aren't that many. You check out low pairs versus four card straights, two pair versus a full house, and whether it's smart to keep kickers with three of a kind. There are few other hands to look at, but not many. If you're interested in getting an edge at sports betting, then unabated.com is a great resource for you. Founded by frequent Gambling with an Edge guests, Captain Jack and Rufus Peabody, Unabated is designed for both new and experienced sports bettors. Their real-time odd screen tools and calculators take a lot of the guesswork out of trying to quantify your edge. There's also plenty of free education and instruction to help you along your journey to become a sharper sports better. You can currently take advantage of a seven-day free trial to decide if the premium membership at Unabated is right for you. Right. The next is I'm going to read a uh, sent to us by a listener. It's not really a question, but his experience of playing as an AP in the UK and things to keep in mind. And Richard, I'm sure we'll have some comments on this when we're done. He says, I will start with the only good reason I can think of. You will pay no taxes on winnings, no matter how much it is. The next best reason European single zero roulette, possibly with French rules, so a zero will return half your bet on even money bets. A very low house edge when compared to double and the disgraceful triple zero, but still not likely an AP play. Now some reasons why it's a bad idea to play in the UK. ID. You pretty much have to join to get in. Show ID at the door and becoming a member is no way of hiding your identity. So far, I only know one casino, the Hippodrome in London, where you can walk in off the street and start playing without joining. Absolutely no video poker, nothing, nowhere. Slots, um, casino licensing only allows 20 cabinets per license. So while some of the bigger places will have more, multiple licenses, most will have only 20. They're all fixed at a dismal 94% return. Denominations, nope. Fixed bet amounts, usually 50 pence, one pound, two pounds, three pounds, and max five pounds. The five pound per spin is the absolute max you'll find. No high limit slots, uh, win limits, no machine can pay more than uh, 10,000 pounds in a single spin with the exception of progressive, which can go as high as 20,000. And then we'll just stop until it hits, unless it is a must hit buy. This is one of the biggest scams, as you know. High limit denominations will also pay a better return, but not so in the UK. A good example of this is a 50 pence player hits a 5,000 times top win and receives the full 25,000 pounds, whereas a $5 player hitting the same win will only receive 10,000 pounds, not the 25 he should be. Therefore, a high limit player is getting a much worse deal. Another thing with slots is game choice. While it may seem like you have a choice, many of the games are just clones of one another. Tables. Practically all tables use CMS, so no counting. The best CSM. AP, CSM. Uh, the best AP situation I've ever came across with these is when the dealer put a bunch of cards in the wrong way round so on blackjack as they came out you could see the next card to come out on the machine in my case i had a 16 versus a five but could see the next card was a five so i hit it and had the five a rare situation that could be 
exploited in seat one, but certainly not a daily occurrence. I don't know why he didn't double down. Now, game not select to. not allowed to double down. Okay. No. <laughs> game selection is also terrible. Uh, we have blackjack, decent rules mind, double on any two, double after split, resplit aces. Blackjack plays three to two. Three card poker, occasionally uh, crazy four in Ultimate Texas, but that's about it. You'll also find Baccarat at the Chinatown casinos, but in not many places. My local has a craps table. It's used as a leaning post and has basically been ruined by people using it to put drinks on. On that note, drinks, of course you can drink at the tables, but forget about free drinks except draft soft drinks, tea and coffee. And so annoyingly, you can't put your drink on the table, so you will see stupid coffee tables everywhere instead of simply having a cup holder built into the table. Then there's the financial stupid stuff. At roughly 12,000 pounds buy-in, someone is going to speak to you about what you do for a living, etc. At 25,000 pounds loss, you'll be spoken to again, except this time they will likely want proof of income. At a loss of 5,000 pounds, you guessed it, another chat, except this time they're going to want bank statements, proof of income, and possibly blood. In essence, UK casinos hate players, and they want the week uh, they want the weekend beer drinking, rowdy, fighting crowd who seldom visit and are no hassle to the casino itself, whereas the casino becomes responsible for players and their mental health should they determine you're gambling too much. I appreciate they have to follow rules set out for them, but it's an, um, it's not very much fun. So, Richard, do you have any yeah, comments? First of all, yeah, first of all, I think it's 1,200 pounds and 2,500 pounds when they start asking you for where you got your money, not 12,000 and 25,000. Um, so, and you're right. Yeah. That was, it did say, say 2,500. If I said 1,000, that was a, a misreading on my part. Sorry. Yeah, basically the, the regulators have ruined gambling in the UK, just, just destroyed it. Um, they are so busy trying to protect everybody that they've just, you know, really killed things. Um, the, and the one thing I would say is, yes, it's great that you, um, don't pay taxes on gambling winnings, but that's for people who are residents of the UK. If I, if I go there and win money, I still have to pay taxes in the U S so the UK is a great place for a professional gambler to be from, but not a great place to actually play. So if you're a pro who lives there and you go travel other places to play, then yes, you're great because you don't have to pay taxes on. Um, so, and it used to be great for online gambling, but they have just killed that as well. The one thing that used to be tremendous about the UK was they used to take enormous action, um, but they were extremely paranoid about people unless they knew that customer and knew the guy was a, you know, a big loser over time. So the UK could still be a great place for whale flipping, um, you know, with the right BP who's already set up in a casino there, they could win an enormous amount of money, but. As the listener says, it's it's really a horrible place now to uh, try to to try to make any money uh, at gambling. They do have uh, uh, good sports betting opportunities, though. There are bet shops all over the place on every corner, the way there are Starbucks here. So um, 
but I don't know if they'll take any kind of action in those shops. Probably you'd have to run around and make lots and lots of small bets. All right. Next question. I was recently at a casino in Atlantic City and found a 9-6 double-double bonus video poker game. But it actually would suggest which cards to hold after each hand was dealt. It was accurate. Have you ever seen this before? I'm mostly a video poker player and have never seen it. Now, auto hold is a feature built into every video poker machine. Casinos have the power to turn it on or turn it off. At most places, it is turned off. Uh, It sounds to me like this time it was turned on accidentally. Now, today, auto hold is pretty accurate. It didn't always be that way. 15 or so years ago, the IGTI auto hold gave recommended plays, giving up about 2% more than perfect play. Casinos would turn it on to, one, speed up the play, because players are now just hitting the button like it was a slot machine being required. And what's more, it would teach players how to play badly. Uh, When the switch was made from the bad auto hold to the good auto hold, you know, 10, 15 years ago, something like that, there was a considerable player resistance. The players were used to the old auto hold with its incorrect holds, and since the new holds were different from what they had been taught, they figured the new auto hold was worse. Now, even when the slot director would say, trust me, the new way is better for you, players were pretty skeptical. Um, in the case Atlantic City, 96 double-double bonus, this is probably a mistake. This is a uh, 99% game, which is loose by Atlantic City standards. And it doesn't make sense for casinos to teach players how to play the loosest game well. If you're going to teach them how to play any game well, they should probably teach someone how to play the 95% game well. So even if they did play it well, the casino is still going to make their money. All right, next question. Uh, What happened to Wilma Zero's money? I have an answer. Do you, Richard? No, I figured you were in contact with him, so I, I figured you would know. I think he got it back, right? Eventually. Yeah. Now, Wilma Zero is actually a guy. Um, he was a guest on the show. And he was 86 from MGM prop from one MGM property, but he still had 20000 or so in chips from the Mirage. He announced the Mirage. The Bellagio, in- I think. Was I'm it? pretty sure it was the Bellagio. Okay. So he, he called up the Bellagio, told him he was coming in to pick up his money. And he was intercepted by security, taken to the cage where his chips were confiscated and without payment. Uh, Bob Nersessian became involved. Eventually, Wilma Zero did get his money, less Nersessian's share. Had this been you, Richard, and you had 20000 in chips in a casino where you had been 86 from an associated casino, how would you have proceeded? Well, uh, first of all, I just want to add that when it happened, he called gaming and gaming wrongly told him that the casino didn't have to cash his chips. And it took months for him to get this money back. And again, it's just the case of casinos trying to steal money from players and they get no, there's no repercussions. So um, anyway, uh, you know, if you go back and listen to the episodes, he he just made so many mistakes 
uh, in this, but he never, ever should have called them and told them he was coming. And he should have just found somebody else to cash them for him slowly. Or even if he had just gone in and slowly cashed them over time, less than 2000 at a time, you know, eventually he would have gotten them cashed out. Um, but yeah, it, it just, it, it never should have been a problem in the first place. He, he just kind of made a lot of very, uh, beginner mistakes. All right. Next question. Want to know how much would I sell the rights to sex lies and video poker for? This person thinks they could do justice to the rich lore established in the canon and usher in a new era of greatness in the erotic gambling novel genre. Well, if you're serious, email me and we can talk. <laughs> Does that mean he wants to make a movie of it? What, do you, what does he want to do with the rights? I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I don't know, but I, uh, I definitely don't want to start negotiating in front of uh, 30,000 uh, listeners to somebody I don't even know who it is. But, uh, but if somebody's serious about this, go ahead, uh, include... Uh, something you have written that you're proud of so that I can uh, generally see that you are a competent writer and uh, we can go from there. All right. Um, when starting out, we actually answered that question earlier. So I'm going to try a new one. Uh, how much do you tip and why? Now I've been, I've talked about this a lot previously, Richard, have you talked about tipping? Oh, I think we've talked about it a lot over the years. But I, I would just say, if you're a card counter, I would not tip. You can't afford it. There's just not enough edge to go around to to tip if you're a card counter. If you're playing things with a higher edge, uh, then you can afford to tip, if, especially if you need the dealer on your side in some way. Because sometimes if the dealers get um, irritated or angry, your advantage just disappears. So that's when tipping is appropriate to make sure that your edge doesn't go. All right. What is the most cash you have misplaced or had stolen? How did you handle it? Richard. Well, I can't think of a time I misplaced cash, but, but I do have a, a teammate who would do it all the time. And, um, uh, but I mean, there've been a lot of kind of crazy stories of misplaced cash over the years. But uh, as far as stolen, now it's hard to know how much has been stolen at different times um, because I've had teammates who we were really sure stole money from us, but we're not able to determine how much. We did have one specific incident where we had a BP who we gave him $20,000. He was supposed to go meet us on the table and he went directly to the airport and flew away. Um, with the 20,000. How did we deal with it? I mean, what can you do? I had a friend who was a bookmaker who said to me at one point when I asked him about people who stiffed him, he was like, well, at the end of the day, we're not gangsters. You know, you write it off as a cost of doing business. I, I really don't have any better answer than that because, I mean, what are you going to do? Go like, I don't know. I mean, I had some friends who one time had a teammate. Uh, they suspected that he had stolen $40,000. And this was back in the 80s when that was a lot of money. And um, they basically grabbed him and took him to a hotel room 
and kind of grilled him until he admitted that he had stolen the money and uh, and agreed to pay it back. You know, they wouldn't let him leave the hotel room. And then finally, when he admitted it and agreed to pay the money back, he immediately went to the police and told them that he had been kidnapped, which technically he had been. And my friends were arrested and uh, they ended up having, I mean, they, the sentence, they got a very, very light sentence. I think they had to spend five nights in jail. Uh, But still, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that can happen when you try to take those matters into your own hands. So, uh, yeah. Uh, So my attitude has been, well, you know, uh, you write it off. I don't have a better answer than that. Yeah, for me, uh, actually, relatively recently, I was uh, I was playing a slot machine, and I really, 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 really had to go to the restroom, and wanted the machine locked up, had my change light on, couldn't find an attendant. Finally, hit the jackpot, which was um, less than twelve hundred. Uh, it finally paid out. I grabbed my card and ran to the restroom, leaving about $3,000 worth of credits on the machine. Uh, when I returned after my business, um, $3,000 was gone. Uh, I figured whoever had it has fled the casino. There was nothing I can do about it. Um, so I just went on. I had Wow, no you didn't there. even report it to security or anything? No. I figured there was nothing that could be done. But uh, oh, maybe I sh- maybe I should have reported a security, but I didn't. So I had a friend who was playing a machine, and his his uh, teammate was playing a machine just on the bank, kind of around behind his bank. And he got up and he just went around to say something to his teammate, and in this very brief amount of time, some guy hit the cash out button and and stole the ticket. And he immediately went to security. Security was able to bring it up on a video pretty quickly, but the guy had already cashed out the ticket and gone. Um, but yeah, I, I would have at least reported it because you never know. They might have recognized the guy or, or whatever. Yep. It, and it's too late now. I, I remember which casino and which machine, but I can't, I don't have a date and, um, uh... Yeah. Oh, well. Last question, Richard. Who was a better AP, you or your brother Jake? <laughs> well, I, it, it's not really a fair question because I, I basically was playing for 40 years and uh, Jake played uh, blackjack for a few years. And, you know, he was a backgammon player for, he's still a backgammon player, but there's not a lot of money in, black, in, in backgammon. So, um, you know, I, I definitely have, have uh, made more money in gambling than he has. But uh, as I say, it's not not a fair comparison. Really. And and Jake is a better backgammon player than you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, thank you very much. We still have um, probably almost enough questions for another show. We still need some more. So keep them coming in at... Um, Gambling with an edge at gmail.com or send them by email or Twitter to Richard, and we'll do this again. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at RWM21. All right, at the end of the show, we have a recommended section. 
Richard, do you have anything to recommend to our audience today? Yeah, with a caveat. Um, you know, I started watching this show called The Good Detective on Netflix, which is a Korean cop show. <laughs> and now my my uh, Netflix is just inundated with Korean television shows. So uh, anyway, the, the good detective, it's your standard cop show, uh, you know, corruption and bad guys and murder and that kind of stuff. Uh, but it's a good show. Uh, but yeah, as I say, now my Netflix is just inundated with uh, Korean shows. So what makes this particular cop show recommendable compared to Man, um, Mannix or, you know, Magnum PI or whatever. Mannix. Whatever. Wow. Yeah. You're really showing your age. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I don't know. I guess it's just the characters. There, there's a, a, uh, a team cop team of an older cop and a younger cop and um, their personalities and, and the way they interact with each other. Um, yeah. It just, it, it got me. Um, it hooked me. So I'm now in the second season. Oh, good. All right. So in my case, I married Bonnie almost nine years ago, and I moved into the same house she'd shared for 21, 20 plus years with her now deceased ex-husband. I wanted a big office, and so I had one built, including a complete bath. The oversized bathtub shower unit that I chose didn't fare well. It ended up uh, leaking badly, um, rotting the floor, creating mold in the walls, and it was a mess. So it needed to be replaced. Uh, once the problem was diagnosed, I decided to remove the entire tub, fix whatever needed fixing, and build an entirely new shower from ground up with some handicap apparatus, which isn't needed yet, but at our age may well be needed soon. To uh, design and build a shower, I used Innovative Remodeling LV LLC. I highly recommend them to you if you live in Vegas. Have any plumbing or other handyman stuff that needs done, call Daniel at 702-582-4743. And please tell him that I recommend it. That's Innovative Remodeling LV, LLC. He uh, needs a shorter name, but that's what he does, and he does really All right. So thank you, Richard. Go out and hit lots of royal flushes, everybody. Good day. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. <laughs> But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone.